the word of the Lord says this. And we came to the place called the skull, that they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Hiding his garments among themselves. And even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, You are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanging there was saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. The other responded, saying, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we receiving are receiving what we desire or deserve for our crimes. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you enter into your kingdom or when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. You may be seated. Throughout the history, we have read many great and amazing conversion stories. I mean, if there's anything that we as Christians love to hear and that we will give all our attention to is when one sits us down and tells us the ways in which Christ led them to salvation. And we, we love to hear how one was saved, how one went from a sinner under the just condemnation of God to being a saint clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And throughout history, again, we have seen uh, many great conversion stories. Many of you, I'm sure, have wonderful, great conversion stories that are amazing. And we think of think of Charles Spurgeon, the young man who he had to go to another church, a Methodist church. And upon the preaching of the word of God, he's convicted and he's saved. You can think of C.S. Lewis, who once was uh, a great um, defender of, of, of atheism to where one day he is a Christian. And then you can think of many of the stories that we have recorded for us in the Bible. You can think of St. Paul, who was formerly known as Saul on that, on that Damascus road. He's knocked off his horse and Jesus Christ reveals himself to him and he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? We can think of that great publican in Luke where he pounds his chest and he says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And saints, we can look at our text this morning in which we have in the most uh, unlikeliest of times, in the most unlikeliest events, a salvation of a sinner occurs. Again, in the most unlikeliest of events, Someone is saved. And we see this salvation from this thief on the cross. We have in Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43, a conversation on the cross between a sinner 
and the Savior. But generally speaking, what we have is two thieves on the cross. Christ is in the middle. We have one thief to his left and one thief to his right. And it's interesting how both thieves woke up and started their day the entire same way. In fact, we can say that both thieves started their day in the same spiritual state. Both were dead in their sins. And by the end of the day, one is led to heaven and the other is led to hell. Here we see this morning the great grace of God on display. The great saving power of Christ on display. So saints, this morning, I don't have any points for us to consider, but I just want us to to look at this text and just notice all of the wonderful truths that are just simply oozing out of this text. As we come to the 23rd chapter of Luke, we have before us the greatest event, the greatest thing that has ever happened in mankind. And that is the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, one might find that odd to liken the crucifixion of Christ to it being the greatest event and the greatest thing that's ever happened in the history of mankind. Now, how is that possible? Because what we have in the crucifixion of Christ is what? We have the Savior of the world dying for sinners. That is the greatest thing that has ever happened to mankind. It is the death of Christ. But at the same time, what we have recorded for us in Luke chapter 23 is the worst thing that's ever happened in the history of mankind. And that is the sinless one, the eternal son of God who became flesh, is wrongly accused of a crime and is put to death. Again, Luke chapter 23, we have this this wonderful uh, paradigm of the greatest thing that's ever happened and the worst thing that's ever happened. And as we come to verse 35 of our text, uh, we see Christ's crucifixion intensify. For not only is Christ experiencing physical pain, but also mental as well. It says in verse 35 through 37, and the people stood by watching and even the rulers were sneering at him saying, he saved others. Let him save himself. If this is the Christ of God, his chosen one, the soldiers also ridiculed him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. As our Christ is in the deepest of physical pain ever imagined, we see that the world is ridiculing and mocking him. Our Lord's death has become a comedy for others. It's become a show for all to see. This one who claims to be the son of God, he did all of these miracles, but he can't do this one miracle and that is save himself from the cross. And as we come to verse 37 of our text, the mocking that was coming from below and now enters on high. You see, at this moment before this, all of the mocking was coming from below Christ. And now what we see in verse 37 on down is this mocking enters into the ear of Christ. It's right next to him. Verse 39 says, one of the criminals who were hanging there, was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? 
save yourself and us. Here we see that one of the thieves has now joined in with the voices from down below. He's joined in with the mocking and the ridiculing. And he joins in with the rulers and the soldiers. And he challenges Christ. If you are who you say you are, prove it. If you truly are the Son of God, save yourself. And isn't it sad, congregation, that this thief, he's spending his last hours of his life mocking the only Savior of the world. This thief is spending the last hours of his days mocking the only one who was able to save him from that cross. What a sad way to go out. The one Jesus Christ has given this thief a voice is now using that voice to shame and to mock the one who gave him that voice. Now, saints, we aren't to read this and think that this one thief is truly wanting Christ to prove his deity by coming down from the cross. He's not saying if you are the Christ, save yourself because he's on team Jesus and he wants Jesus to make a mockery of out of everyone else. That's not what he's doing. In other words, when the thief says to Jesus, are you not the Christ, save yourself? It's not as if the thief wants Christ to shut the mouths of his accusers and and to come down from the cross. He's not saying that. In fact, we can even say that this thief cares less, can care less about whether Christ is the son of God or not. It doesn't matter to this thief whether Jesus Christ is truly the Christ. For this thief only cares about himself. For again, he says, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Save us. This thief only has his own interests in mind. He only cares about himself. He wants Christ off the cross so that he can get off the cross. He's using Christ as an escape of his own death. And saints, this is how many approach Christianity. From this pragmatic standpoint where Christ must do something for me in order for me to follow him. If you do this, Christ, I will follow you. I remember one preacher saying when I was a little boy. Just try Christ out for a year. Try Jesus for a year and see how things go for you. Well, in a lot of ways, things might get worse for you. But in the grand scheme of things, you don't try a king. Every Christian, matter of fact, every person that has been owes their allegiance to God. Every single one is ordered and commanded to attend Sunday service. Everyone owes allegiance to the one true God who is our triune God. But this is the mentality. That this one thief is the only one that's mocking our Lord. For we read in Matthew and Mark's account of this scene, it says that both thieves are mocking Christ. What's recorded for us in Matthew and Mark 
is that both thieves, Christ in the middle, both thieves are verbally abusing Christ. They're both mocking Christ. They're both accusing Christ. As Christ stands in the middle, he has in his left ear and he has in his right ear this intense verbal abuse that if you are Christ, if you are the Son of God, come down. They're echoing the words of the rulers and the soldiers. They're echoing, ultimately, the words of Satan. And saints, we must stop at this point and it would be it wouldn't be right for us to just move on unless we really consider how severe the cross was for Christ. That yes, we can point to the intense suffering and pain of our Christ that our Lord did not die from lethal injection. That He didn't die from the electric chair. But rather, this was a prolonged death. It was an intense death. And our Lord suffered all of this intense and physical pain all while being laughed at and mocked. But as we come to verse 40 of our text, something really strange happens. Something rather amazing happens. Look at verse 40 if you would. But the other responded and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. This is bizarre, is it not? It's really, really, really strange. For we just said that in Matthew and Mark's account of this scene, both thieves are accusing and mocking Christ. Both thieves are saying the same thing to Christ. And here in verse 40, just after the first thief challenged Christ, the other stands up for Christ. The same thief that just a few moments ago was cursing Christ is now defending Christ. This is weird. In just a few moments, maybe hours and seconds, who knows? But we see that this thief, this second thief, that there's a change in heart. And how do we know that? Because there's a change in his tongue. He's not saying the same thing that he just said a few moments ago. He's not accusing Christ in the same way. He's no longer speaking that language. He's no longer echoing the soldiers and the rulers and his fellow criminal. The same tongue that was mocking Christ is now standing up for Christ. The same tongue that was verbally abusing Christ is now being used to tear to pieces Christ's enemies in just a few moments. And what's the first words of defense that this thief uses? Do you not even fear God? Since you are under the same sentence and condemnation, here this thief shows that he's a world-class theologian. A world-class theologian. 
For what does he say to this first thief? Well, he appeals to the to the two most essential questions in all of Christianity. And that is who God is. Who do you say that God is? And who do you say that you are in relation to God? First, he appeals to who God is by asking the first thief, do you fear God? And this thief, by him saying this, implies that he knows something about the righteousness of God. By saying to this other thief, do you fear God? He knows something about the holiness of God. And says, I don't think that this is something that just came to him. But I think that the things that he learned as a little boy started to become more relevant to him. The things that he learned in school when he was being taught by his teachers the Ten Commandments, when he was taught by his teachers who God is, was now becoming more and more relevant to him. And saints, you are to note that the things that you are saying to your young ones and the things that you are saying to your family and friends, who it doesn't seem like they are receiving what you're saying, there is going to come a time when what you have told them becomes the most important and relevant thing There are many of you who have, I'm sure, have gone through some sort of near-death experience. And the one thing that mama taught you when you were little, and the one thing that you heard from that preacher when you were little, suddenly came to your mind. It suddenly came to your remembrance. And here this thief, at the, at the brink of, of death, is starting to comprehend what he was taught as a little boy. He understands the holiness of God, that God is holy other than us, that this momentary punishment is nothing compared to the eternal punishment from God Almighty. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28, is it not, do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. He's saying, do you not understand that there is a greater judgment that's coming? Do you not fear God? And here the second thief on the cross is echoing those wise words from Christ. And while it is true that in his past, this thief has made unwise decisions, he's made a dumb decision that has landed him on the cross. Here we see that, that he's wiser than all. Although in the past he made an unwise decision, here at this moment he's showing that he's wiser than everyone. For he's teaching his fellow criminal that great proverb in Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He's teaching this. One criminal is teaching the other criminal a lesson. He's essentially asking, do you even know who God is? And saints, not God in general, but Jesus Christ specifically. Remember, because this first thief is abusing Christ. And this second thief says, do you not even fear God? This second thief realizes that the one whom you're abusing is God. The one whom you are speaking of and to is God. You need to watch your mouth. You need to watch what you are saying to this one because he is God. But in addition to this second thief teaching the first thief a lesson on the doctrine of God, he also gives a lesson on the doctrine of man, 
of who we are in relation to God. Look what he says at the end of verse 40 and verse 41. Do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly. For we are receiving what we deserve for our crimes. This is amazing. It just this text gets even more amazing as you read it. Considering the background of this second thief. Here this this man not only knows who God is, but he knows who he is. He knows that he's a criminal. He knows that he's justly receiving the due penalty of his crime. What criminal even says that? That now I'm actually right to be on death row. It's a good thing. But saints, he also knows a truth that's more fundamental than all of those. And that he's a sinner. He knows that he's a sinner. And although he stands justly condemned before all of the world, he knows that it is ultimately God who is his judge. And based off of that knowledge, he says, I am justly condemned. Not merely for the crimes that I committed, but ultimately for his crime against God. He's saying, I'm condemned, not because of the crime that I've committed in this earthly life, but the crime that I committed in Adam. The crime that I committed in the Garden of Eden. And saints, isn't this a truth that many fail to acknowledge that in the Garden of Eden, when Adam sinned, you sinned with him. And from that moment, all people have been justly condemned before holy God. Key word there, justly. Justly condemned. There is not one person who was innocent before holy God. And this thief, more than anyone, understands this truth. He certainly understands it more than the first thief. Remember, the first thief says to Jesus, are you not the Christ? Save yourself. But the second thief says, we indeed are suffering justly. You see, the first thief wanted off the cross. This second thief knew that it was right and just for him to be on the cross. This first thief was pleading to be off that cross. But this second thief said, no, I need to stay here on this cross. This is where I belong. What is happening here, saints? What's going on here? This one who was who was just echoing the very words, the same words of the rulers and of the soldiers and the other thief abusing Christ is now saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, I need to be here. What's going on? Well, saints, what we are witnessing is a heart of stone made into a heart of flesh. That's what we are seeing here. You're seeing the wind of God blowing over the dry bones of this second thief. What we're seeing is divine grace that's allowing this criminal to see what others always ignore. And that is their sinful condition. And friends, isn't this what so many non-Christians and even true Christians fail to acknowledge? That we are sinners. The world covers up their sin by doing various things for others. Giving to the poor. Trying to be a good model and a citizen. 
Christians cover up their sin by merely not talking about it. By merely hiding it. Thinking that maybe one day it'll all go away. But this thief knows who he is. And he knows that he's right where he should be. I should be on this cross. And as we come to the ending of verse 41, this thief makes another striking observation. For while he acknowledges that he should be on the cross, it's good for him to be on the cross. He also acknowledges that there's one that that is that's right beside him that shouldn't be here. Look at verse 41 again, saints, and pay attention to what he says at the end. We indeed are suffering justly. For we are receiving what we deserve for our crimes. But this man, speaking of Christ, this man has done nothing wrong. Here this thief says that Christ is innocent. And he's not just saying Christ is innocent because he himself personally has never saw Jesus Christ commit a sin. But God is graciously giving him the eyes of faith to see what others did not want to see this man with the others who was mocking Christ, who was shaming Christ at one point is now preaching Christ. Isn't that amazing? He was preaching the gospel of Satan. And then just in an instant, he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what's the first thing he appeals to? That this man is innocent. That this man has committed no crime. He declares the sinlessness of Christ. This thief is echoing the great words of Hebrews 7. That Christ is holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners. And saints, isn't this, as we are just coming out of Christmas, the great news of the birth of Christ. Is that the eternal son has became man That the eternal son, the one who was a most pure spirit, has become bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. But we must not stop there because we don't need the eternal son to become man. We need the eternal son to become man yet without sin. We need one to enter into our plight, to take on our humanity without the stain of original sin. That's what we need. We need one who can elevate our nature And that's what we have in Jesus Christ. By God's grace, this thief sees what the Pharisees and what the leaders of the day chose to ignore, that Jesus Christ is sinless. And because he is sinless, he should not be suffering next to me, a sinner. I'm the sinner. I'm justly condemned here. But this one is sinless and he should not be here. But in a way, Christ should be there. This thief, I'm sure, if there was a little bit of room in his mind, as he is in agonizing pain, he's probably questioning in his head, why is this innocent one up here with me? Why is he here with me? He shouldn't be here. But saints, as there are many things that this thief came to realize, and God was graciously giving him the eyes of faith, What this thief failed to realize is that Jesus Christ on the cross 
was on the cross, not because of the religious leaders of the day and not because of some mock trial. But Jesus Christ is on the cross primarily because it was the will of the father to crush his son. That is why Christ is on the cross. That Jesus Christ is on the cross because he's paying the penalty of our sin. That Christ on the cross is he's counseling out that ancient debt of sin that we owe to God. In other words, what the thief doesn't know is that the one who is suffering beside him is dying for him. That never came to the mind of the thief, that the one who is suffering right in the middle is dying for me. In congregation, as we come to verse 42, after this thief has defended Christ, he now turns to Jesus and he makes a request. Look at verse 42, if you would. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Here we see that this thief not only recognizes Christ as God, he not only recognizes Christ as sinless, but he recognizes Christ as the king. Now, this is remarkable, is it not? But he says there is nothing, especially Christ on the cross, that would lead people to say that that's the king. He doesn't have a crown. He doesn't have a scepter. He doesn't have anything. But what this thief understood about Christ is something that his disciples didn't even grasp. They couldn't grasp. His disciples failed at this point. And that is the way to the kingdom is by way of the cross. The way of the kingdom and this inauguration of the kingdom is by way of the cross. And this thief, when he looks at Christ, he looks past the thorns and he sees the crown. And he looks past and looks beyond the cross and he sees a throne. He doesn't see Christ as the soldiers and as The high priest and all of them saw Christ as a beaten and bloody Christ, but rather he sees the king. And as a peasant comes humbly before a king to make a request, this peasant turns to the king and asks, remember me. When you enter into your kingdom, when you go into your kingdom. Remember me, Christ. Think of me. This thief is asking Christ to give him what he doesn't deserve. And that's simply, remember me. It's interesting, is it not? That in one place he says that I am getting what I deserve, and at the other place he's asking Christ, please give to me what I don't deserve. Would you please remember me? And saints... What does Christ respond to this request? What is he? How does Christ respond to this in verse 43? And he said to him, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. This is amazing. Amazing. I mean, this is a book, by the way, but this puts the amazing back into grace. This is amazing grace here. Friends, think for a moment of the scene that's taken place and please listen to me here. Christ is on the cross. The rulers and the Pharisees are all yelling at him. The soldiers are mocking him. 
There's all this noise that's around him. One thief beside him is verbally abusing him. And in the midst of all of the noise, and in the midst of all of the voices, Christ hears one voice. One voice. Out of all the people who are yelling at Christ, out of all the noise and all the things that are being said to Christ, did you notice that Jesus Christ not one time responds? He doesn't respond to the soldiers. He doesn't respond to the leaders of the day. He doesn't respond to any of them. But one cry from one repentant sinner who is crying out for mercy, Christ hears. In the midst of all of the voices, Christ hears one cry. And he responds, saints, is this not a liken to you? Out of all the prayers that Christ hears, he hears his elect. Jesus Christ hears the cries of his people. And he responds, truly, I say to you today, not tomorrow, not yesterday, not 10 years from now, but today you will be with me in paradise. Essentially, Christ tells this sinner, you want me to remember you. I'll do you one better. That today you will be with me. I'm not merely going to remember you, but you will be with me when I enter into my kingdom. And you will sit next to me. Here Christ is living out the words of St. Paul in Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This thief calls upon the name of the Lord and Christ responds. As we come to a close, saints, how must we live in light of this sermon? Just two things. Number one, we are to marvel at the great grace and the great gift of faith that God has bestowed upon us. Were we not all that second thief? Mocking Christ, abusing Christ, abusing others when they would share us the gospel. At just some point of our life, the lights turned on. And a divine and supernatural light was infused into our souls. And we went from a mocker of Christ to a defender of Christ. To a cursor of Christ to now a proclaimer of Christ. And think of these two thieves, saints. Both are criminals. Both hear the same gospel. But one is saved. Now, what's the difference? What's the difference between these two men? God's sovereign grace. That God chose to save this thief and not this thief. Now, you might say that's not fair. God should save both the thieves. And saints, my... Ten second response to that is thank God that God is not fair. The greatest news in the world is that God isn't fair. Because if God was fair, then neither one would be saved. And he gives to this second thief 
what he doesn't deserve. That is the eyes of faith to see Christ for who he is. Thank God. And secondly, saints, as this is the last Sunday of 2020, I know that there are many of us who continue to pray for our unsaved family members and friends. We saw the list here, and it seems like no one is coming off the list. (laughs) And it seems like this list is growing more and more, and there's just people who we continue to meet, and there's situations that keep arising. And it can seem like year after year, nothing is changing. I'm sure there are many of you that talked to your unsaved family member and friends a couple of days ago at your Christmas parties. And you saw that there's, there's no change there. It seems like they might be even getting worse. <laughs> Will God ever save this man, this woman? But friends, be of good cheer this morning because this text reminds us that God saves. That God saves. Now, I'm not saying that Christ will save them. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that Christ can save them. That Christ can save them. Think again of our text this morning. And think of Jesus on the cross. He's on the cross. And while it looks like he can't even save himself, let alone others. People are asking and and questioning whether he's the son of God. If he is the son of God, save yourself. And Jesus says, I'm going to do you one better. I'm going to save someone else. Isn't that interesting that Christ doesn't save himself from the cross, but rather he saves one from the cross. And saints, if Jesus Christ, who was beaten and bloody, can save one sinner from the cross then surely he can save a multitude from now his throne in heaven. Again, if Christ can save a sinner while on the cross, he has the power to save while on his throne in heaven. I leave you with this, saints, that don't ever say that my loved one is too far from the saving grace of God. Because at this thief's last In dying hour, he was saved. This thief woke up that morning, a sinner, on his way to hell. And he ended that day as a saint in paradise with Christ. In the morning, he had breakfast with with Satan. And by nighttime, he had a feast with Christ in heaven. Let's pray.